My name is Gage. My name is Ray. <laughs> and you are listening to Gore Report, a true crime podcast. Yay! Yes! All of the spooky. All of the weirds. All of the scary. Wow, I just noticed my voice sounded kind of deep just then. I don't know if it's my microphone, but I don't know. I just feel like I pulled a baby lock them doors in. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you're having a good day and a good week and, and a, a good, good life. Uh, we're always wishing you that happy, wonderful, a bunch of other adjectives kind of existence. I'm not going to fall down the stairs again. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was waiting for it. But we always hope that you're doing well. And if you're new here with me and Ray, then welcome to all of our weird. Hi. And if you like what you hear from us, please take your time and feel free to leave us a good rating or a good review because it helps support the show. But only if you think we deserve it. Yes. Yes. We wouldn't want you to put a good mark on something that was subpar. We don't want to earn stars out of dishonesty and lack of performance. Exactly. Now, do we? Exactly. So we're going to leave that all up to you. <laughs> but on a real note. I'm super excited to hear what you have for us this week. Like, I'm still recovering from Eileen Warnos. Are you? I really, really am. Truly, that episode impacted me and affected me so much. It has been on my mind since. I know it's been two weeks, but still, incredible shit. And it scarred me and it made me (laughs) sad. So I only can guess and grasp at straws as to what you have prepared for us this week, but I'm just super excited to hear it. Oh, well, today I'm going to talk about Zachary Davis. Oh. He was convicted of first-degree murder in 2012 for bludgeoning his mother to death. Oh, fuck. He was 15 years old when he committed the crime. 15? Yeah. Oh, my God. God, oh, it's going to be one of those. So, you know, I was just relaxing. Um, I've been doing a lot of work in my room for like the past week, really. Mm -hmm. And at night, I calm down. I put something on YouTube. You know, I watch something true crime related most of the time. Right, Um, same. (laughs) Right. So I was watching a YouTube video and came across this case. And watched all the interrogation footage of it, and it just stuck with me for some reason. I guess it's just, it's a lot with this case. Wow, wow. And I'm going to implement some trigger warnings for this one. If you've listened to us for a while now, you know we love our trigger warnings. And we don't give trigger warnings for, like, the murder part, because, you know... It's implied. It's implied. We're a true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But for this episode, I'm giving specific warnings for mentions of self-harm, incest, and rape. Oh, shit. This one's pretty bad. So guys, grab your snacks, relax. And maybe get something for your nerves, because I can already tell this is going to be one that makes us uncomfortable. 
uncomfortable, yeah, uncomfortable, yeah. So I'm first going to start by introducing you to Melanie. Melanie was an overseas citizen who decided to move to Hendersonville, Tennessee to marry the love of her life, Chris Davis. There's no information on Melanie, unfortunately, like who she was, things she enjoyed, things like that. Gotcha, gotcha. The only piece I have of her life is she was a very hard worker as a paralegal and her hobby was running. Like, okay. she would train for triathlons, and that was her thing. Oh, wow. So, she was, like, running. Running. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Chris and Melanie ended up getting married, obviously, and having two sons, Josh and Zachary. The boys only had, like, a year and a half between them. So, they were very close in age. Okay. okay. And they, they seemed to get along pretty well. Cool. So the Davis family was a pretty average and happy American household. They lived in a quiet middle class neighborhood and life was good. Like they were very affectionate towards each other. They were pretty involved in each other's lives. So they were a very tight knit family. Okay. And Zachary, the youngest, he was a very quiet, shy and clingy child. So he would often express that he was sad a lot. Oh, same. Right? And he was starting to show symptoms of mental illness, like, very early on. And as the years rolled on, like, it, you know, just seemed to kind of be getting worse. Gotcha, gotcha. So Melanie, she took him to the doctors to see if she could get some help for Zachary. And I couldn't find any documentation on what they were suspecting for a diagnosis, but they were basically keeping an eye on him at this point. And then, unfortunately, their family got hit with a tragedy because Chris died of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. Oh, my goodness. It's also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. In 2009 is when he died. Gotcha. And if you don't know what ALS is, it's a degenerative neurological disease that attacks the muscles over time those affected have a range of symptoms such as losing the ability to walk slurred speech or even losing the ability to speak altogether that sounds absolutely horrific they also have difficulty even chewing their food or grabbing things Oh, my goodness. Do you remember when people online would nominate each other to, like, pour a bucket of ice cold water on themselves? I was actually thinking, like, I was going to ask you if this was the same thing when people years ago was doing, like, the ice bucket challenge thing. I, I wondered if it was the same thing. Yeah, so it was in support of ALS to donate money for charity to the research of ALS. And it was, like, this huge deal. Everybody was into it, and I even got behind it and did it, but I could not imagine going through a disease like this where you were watching a loved one go through this, and if any of you listening struggle with this, I wish you nothing but comfort and healing. Absolutely same, because again, I couldn't imagine. That just sounds so awful. Following Chris's death, the family moved to Sumner County, Tennessee to try to pick up the pieces and move on with their lives. Zachary was only nine years old when Chris passed away. That's so young. And that started a chain of events that would end in murder. Oh my god. 
I really don't like this. Something changed inside Zachary. Ugh. Fuck. He was just a nine-year-old boy when he spiraled into depression, and he was admitted for psychiatric treatment with Dr. Bradley Freeman at Vanderbilt University Medical. And some sources say that he was hospitalized quite a few times. And around 11 years old, Zachary was diagnosed with depression and psychosis. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Bless his heart. My God, again, that's just so young. That is some really intense shit to be dealing with so young. Yeah. He was even scheduled with a therapist, but he only went four times and then he was pulled out by Melanie. And I couldn't find the reason why she pulled him out, but I imagine she must have been dealing with quite a lot. I mean, you just lost the love of your life. Your child has a severe mental illness. You're now a single parent. And the world is just piling it on at this point. Again, I couldn't imagine any of this. And I can't imagine how she must have felt and like all the things she was going through. So, of course, that's going to affect the responsibilities that she has as a parent. Understandably so. Growing up, Zachary was described by everyone as a social outcast who whispered every word as if to hide his natural voice. He wore the same hoodie day in and day out and had no friends at school. He never made any effort to make friends at all. Like he kept to himself and he was happy to keep it that way. I mean, again, same. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he functioned very well on his own. So, you know, he just didn't go out of his way. Like if somebody looked at him and smiled at him, he would just like look away. Gotcha. There would be no no reaction, no emotion, just like look away. Well, a lot of people function better in solitude and being, you know, a little antisocial on that side of things, me yeah. included. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's that's not hard for me to grasp. I, I get what you're saying. I literally drag Gage out everywhere that we go because he's like, I'll just sit in the cart. No, bitch, you're coming inside. <laughs> You're coming with me. I'm not about it. You won't be finding me out nowhere. I promise you that. So, Zachary, he wasn't bullied. Nobody made fun of him. He was just one of those kids that everybody just kind of ignored. Gotcha. And the only person who Zachary considered his best friend was his older brother, Josh, who was very different from Zach. Like, he was on the sports team. He had a lot of friends. He was very social. And he would go to parties all the time. Where Josh loved doing these things out and about, Zachary just preferred doing things indoors. Which, again, for that third time, same. Not hard for me to grasp. I understand. If I don't have to leave the house, I'm not leaving the house. Unless I have to. Right, period. (laughs) Zachary loved to read, watch horror movies, and he even indulged in true crime. And hold on, don't at me. I know you guys are probably rolling your eyes and saying, well, that doesn't mean anything. It's like horror movies. Just because you indulge in murder-related things does not mean that you're some weirdo. Exactly. I mean, for God's sakes, look at us. I mean, are we weirdos? Kinda. Yeah, we, well, yeah, we yes, definitely are. we're the weirdos. Mister. But have we ever murdered someone? No. And if we <laughs> did, this would not be the place and episode to announce it. <laughs> but, you know, when I say he indulged, I meant to say, like, he overindulged. 
on true crime and stuff. Like he was obsessed with it. Gotcha. I'm I'm guessing more in the direction of obsessed with not in a healthy way. Not in a like, healthy way. Like not the same way that me and you are obsessed with it. Right. Gotcha. He was idolizing these killers. Oh, wow, it is me, Squidward. <laughs> you haven't heard from me in a while, but I'm just here to point out that that is a big fucking red flag. <laughs> Huge. Very red. Squidward has entered the chat. Right. And I agree <laughs> with you, Squidward. You should in no way be idolizing the people that perpetrate these kind of crimes. It's right. not cute. Well, he also had no empathy for the victims either. Oh, fuck. And he even wrote his own analysis in one of his notebooks of why killers get caught. What? And this note was written January 22nd of 2012. And it reads, quote, After reading dozens of news reports about killers... I believe I found several consistent reasons why most killers are caught within a year. They rely too much on civilization. Most killers hide out in heavy populated areas or easily accessible areas. They don't migrate to other areas after several kills in a row. This makes the police in their area more alert and the citizens more cautious. Most rely too much on firearms or other weapons that produce loud noises. This will attract unwanted attention to their location, end quote. Holy shit. Did you guys hear sir in the background? I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is, that's crazy. So he was watching these stories, basically empathizing and idolizing the murderer and not empathizing with the victim while analyzing how he would get away and not get caught, essentially. That is a little more than chilling. He's analyzing their mistakes, and I guess fantasizing would be the right word to use on how he would get away with it. Like how he would commit the perfect crime, right. basically. Right. Wow. So Zachary spent a lot of time on his phone, and he even downloaded apps that were specifically geared toward torture devices and serial killers. Holy fuck. Yeah. This goes downhill real, real fast. I fucking see that. Good God. One of his notebooks was even decorated with the phrase, you can't spell slaughter without laughter. It's kind of funny because when I was in high school, I had that exact same thing written on the front of one of my notebooks. Well, see, the thing that made me laugh about it. Okay, I'm just going to have a small spiel. I am 100% an ex-scene kid. Same. And uh, <laughs> if any of you out there listening can relate, but there's this old band I used to listen to in middle school called I Set My Friends on Fire. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you know, you know. But they had an album that had a narwhal on it with like a bunch of intestines. And the name of the album was You Can't Spell Slaughter Without Laughter. Yeah. When you said that, it made me think of that album. And I was just like, oh, my cringe. I just wanted to swing my hair to the side and... 
put on bracelets to my elbows again. Right? I mean, so <laughs> obviously this type of behavior really isn't out of the norm for people like us who like horror, dark movies, and dark music, but he was actually on a completely different level. Well, he had a totally different way of processing this information way differently than like what me and you do right you know (laughs) so when zachary was around 13 to 14 years old he told his mom that he was beginning to hear voices and not just any voice his dad's voice oh my god it was just sporadic at first but now he hears this voice every day every night all the time holy fuck yeah I do not I do not like the vibe. The vibe I do not is like extremely it. unlikable. Bitch, we are descending. Yes, we are. <laughs> At a very fast fucking pace. <laughs> oh man. So Zachary was then taken back to a psychiatrist where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and nothing was really done about this diagnosis really. Like, he wasn't seeing a regular therapist or doctor. I definitely don't think he was medicated. Little did Melanie know, there was something sinister brewing inside Zach. This is just insane. Like, for him to be as young as what he is, he's displaying these symptoms through most of his early adolescence. You said at nine, he's displaying symptoms of, like, you know, like, psychosis and different things like that yeah and then to get diagnosed with something like schizophrenia at such a young age which we never want to paint the stereotype we say it often but we don't want to give into that false narrative that people with schizophrenia are just fucking crazy and off the chain that's never the point but it is something especially at a certain degree that treatment is needed to kind of help manage it so the fact that he's so young and he's going through all of this and he he's now diagnosed with this for him to have no follow-up no counseling no therapy no medication i just don't this is not gonna this does not go well (laughs) i just see it not going well i know that was a little tangent but it truly blows my mind as young as he is that this wasn't taken more seriously Mm. or at least at this point in the story what i'm gathering is that it wasn't taken seriously enough. Thus, we're here talking about it. Right. So, yeah, I just, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. It later came out that the police found some weird searches on his computer, littered between searches for memes and game cheat codes, one of which was the Junko Furuta murder. Oh, that's that's an awful one. Yeah, that one was a Japanese high school student who was abducted, raped, tortured for 40 days, and then murdered, and they found her body in a concrete drum. Oh, my... Another search was the Catherine Mertz story where a 42-year-old woman killed her 9-year-old and 11-year-old and then killed herself, which was all overheard by her husband, Mitch. Oh, my... God. A few other mentions are the Louisville Chainsaw Murder, a cult leader on trial in Ohio for murdering a family of five, and an exacto knife double homicide. Oh my goodness. And I'm sure if anybody looked at our search histories, you know... There would be some questions. Yeah. Because it's very similar. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, I'm looking up crime scene photos and autopsy stuff and looking at very grim stuff. So he also searched 
Understanding Schizophrenia, Signs, Symptoms, and Causes from HelpGuide.org. He was probably trying to understand what it is he was going through or seeing or... Wow. Yeah. Which that's a little sad in its own right, if you think about it. And there was also a note in his phone that read, quote, Hanging over the masses like a shadow or a dark cloud, executing them all one by one without a sound omnipresent and biding its time, ready to steal you away at your prime, welcoming to the stupid and the bold, not following any pattern, just doing as told, laying to rest, kings, queens, peasants, and thrall, death will eventually punish us all. Yep, I stay with my last statement. That makes me uncomfortable, yeah. Uncomfortable, yeah. The day of August 10th, 2012 started off normally. Text messages between Zachary and Melanie all seemed very normal as well. Looking at the text, you can tell this was a very loving family. They told each other they loved each other and sent hearts to each other often. The text from this day in particular read the following. Melanie said, hey sweetie, I just took Josh to the orthodontist. We'll be back hopefully soon. Sometime later, she texted, we can see born or campaign today. I want to see both. There was another text that I don't understand because apparently there's no response from Zachary, but she texts, sounds good. Josh is back in, but we may need to pick him up at Ryan's house. So maybe they talked on the phone before this text. That's what I'm thinking. However, the last text that she would send Zachary was okay with a heart. Oh, fuck. I just literally stuttered with chills. Did you hear yeah, that? Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> Melanie and the boys headed out to the movie theater to watch Campaign. And later, after the movie was over with, they got home and they dispersed into their own rooms. It was around 9 p.m. when Melanie went to bed. Okay. Zachary, on the other hand, went to his room and began to pack a backpack. He packed a change of clothes, a toothbrush, notebooks and pens a ski mask, gloves, a claw hammer, and a knife. Holy fucking shit. He zipped up his backpack and headed to the garage. There, he picked up a sledgehammer and went back into the house. This is where I believe the first piece of evidence was done, so to speak. And after this event happens and the investigators are doing their job, Gotcha. They found on the sledgehammer markings on the handle. And Zachary admitted that this was a made-up alphabet like the ones him and his brother would make all the time as kids. And although he admits to making the alphabet, he doesn't remember writing on the handle of the sledgehammer. Like, the markings on the sledgehammer look like a different language altogether. Gotcha. So the boys would put together these alphabets. And they had like a little code, basically, I'm right. guessing. Gotcha, gotcha. Translated, the markings on the sledgehammer read Zed Requiem. Oh, fuck. The Zed part is believed to be his initials, Zachary Everett Davis, and a Requiem literally meaning a mass for the dead. Oh, my fuck. It's 11 p.m., 
Zachary opens the door to his mother's bedroom, holding the sledgehammer. He stands there and looks at her for a moment as she's sleeping and states later on to investigators that at this point, his mind was completely clear. Oh my God. He raised the sledgehammer over his head and brought it down on Melanie's head. God damn. Whoa. Okay. He swung this sledgehammer over his fucking head. Yes. And brought it down on her head. Oh my, this is fucking barbaric. Holy shit. After the first couple impacts, Melanie had opened her eyes to look up at him. And Zachary said her eyes were open, but she was gone. She had that nothingness stare. That is so fucking chilling. He swung the sledgehammer over and over, bludgeoning her to death. Striking her nearly 20 times. Oh my god. Her blood and pieces of her brain matter were splattered everywhere, even on him. Then, covered in her blood, Zachary closed and locked the door and walked to the laundry room where he left the bloody sledgehammer on the floor next to the door. He then went to the family game room and drenched the room in whiskey and some sources say gasoline, but... Even Zachary admitted that it was whiskey. Zach sets the room on fire. He shut the door to the game room, changed his shirt, and fled the house. With his brother still inside? Yes. Oh my god. He had intended to kill Josh in the fire, but because he closed the door to the game room, the fire didn't spread immediately and Josh was woken up by the fire alarm instead. When Josh went to Melanie's room, he found the door was locked. He busted down the door to find his mother's bloodied body. I could not imagine that. I literally could not fucking imagine that. So Josh escaped the fire and ran to a neighbor's house to call 911. The fire was eventually put out and Josh makes it known at this point to the authorities that Zachary, his mentally ill little brother, is missing. An immediate bolo is put out, but be on the lookout. And authorities find Zachary four hours later, nearly 10 miles from his home. On Reddit, a poster claims to be from Sumner County and claims that Zachary ran six straight miles away from his house. And I'm unsure if this is hearsay, but it could quite possibly be true. Zachary was using all of the information from various true crime stories and he was dead set on getting out of the area. Wow. So when Sumner County Police found him, they brought him to the station for questioning. Wow. Fucking shit, man. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So during the interrogation, Zachary sat still, showing no emotion and talking in a low, monotone voice. He was very honest in his answers to the detective, for the most part. And the bone-chilling answers that Zachary gave regarding the murder is enough to make anyone uncomfortable, yeah, uncomfortable, yeah. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. We hope you enjoy our song. (laughs) (laughs) We say this stuff all the time. So the interrogation started by the detective reading him his rights, of course, which Zachary waived. He waived his rights and answered the questions 
And the detective was trying to get to know Zachary for a little while. So in an attempt to make him comfortable by talking to him, no one was prepared for what they were going to get back. Oh my God, my my stomach. So the detective started asking about his dad's passing and if it bothered Zachary. But he was very clear that his dad's death didn't bother him at all. He was also asked about whether he was seeing a therapist, to which he replied that it was very short-lived since he was pulled out of therapy. He had no idea why his mother pulled him out, and in my opinion, I don't think he really cared enough about it to ask why, you know? Gotcha. Phone records showed he had scheduled in his calendar to meet with guidance counselor Miss Higgs at his school. Maybe someone noticed that something was wrong. Josh was brought into the police station as well, and when asked to recount his day, Josh said that he went to the orthodontist with his mom before coming home. The following clip is of Josh telling in his own words what Zachary was doing when he came home from the orthodontist. His clip also shows how Josh views his relationship with his brother. Gotcha. I'm going to play that for you now. What's that doing when you get home? Uh, I think she's playing the next floor. We kind of, uh, we, we kind of keep to ourselves, I guess. Right, so you that don't have a good relationship? Well, no, we do. It's just like, we, I don't know, like he just kind of, you know, stays to himself. He's kind of a quiet person, I guess. Did you even have any... Okay, okay. Right, so if Josh seems a little hesitant to talk about his brother, he seems to have little emotion about what just took place just hours earlier before his questioning. But many believe, myself included, that he's in shock. I was just about to say that. Like, how could you not be? Right. You just had this good day with your mom and brother, come home, go to sleep, only to wake up to a fire alarm because your house is on fire, can't find your brother, so you try to get your mother only to find her murdered with blood everywhere, and now you're sitting in a police station answering questions? Like, that is a lot, and it happened very fast. I couldn't imagine that truly. I know I've said that like three times, four times now, but like my fucking God, this is so heartbreaking. Josh then continued to say when they got home, they all went to their rooms. He then went in to talk to his mother and found her working out. So they worked out together and he said goodnight to his mom, not knowing that would be the last time he'd see her alive. Jesus. When Zachary was asked about his relationship with his brother, he described him as a typical male teenager and said they get along sometimes. But the text between the boys showed they were close and talked often. You know, they loved each other and they sent heart emojis in their messages. Like they would talk about video games and other interests. Gotcha, gotcha. So here's where things get really heavy. Going back to Zachary being questioned, when he was questioned about killing his mom, he answered truthfully with yes sir and no sir. He sits as still as a stone. 
He sits so still that it seemed foreign to me to see him move in the interrogation footage. What? Yeah, like he was sitting very still. He was making eye contact, looking through his eyebrows. Uh, what's it called? The uh, the Kubrick stare. That's it. Holy shit. One of my sources even said that his demeanor during his interrogation was flattened a bit. There was no feelings. There was no emotion. And he was talking in this low, monotone voice, almost as if he was playing a role that he was a serial killer. What in the fuck? Looking at the text and what I told you they texted earlier that day, you could not tell that he was withdrawn from his mom. He was very affectionate with his mom. As I said, this family, they would send I love yous and hearts all the time to each other with emojis, and they would converse regularly. But now what we're seeing is someone who's telling us that he loves his mother, but he wouldn't describe her as a good mom. Interesting. He he told interrogators that he had no feelings. He had a clear mind when he murdered his mom. Oh my... He also told them that he had no feelings about his dad's death, so it was much easier for him to cut off his emotions than to experience any feelings of grief or loss, basically. So he just cut off those emotions. He just completely disconnected. Right. God, that is equally, that is both parts chilling and fucking sad. Yeah. Like, truly it is. Like, I have to keep reminding myself, this is a 15-year-old boy that we're talking about. Yes. Like, my God, he's a child. Right. God damn. It's theorized that the detachment and withdrawal he was feeling from his mom and his brother could actually be a symptom of personality disorder. He also seemed to exhibit some symptoms that correspond with schizoid personality disorder. And schizoid personality disorder can have some similar symptoms to schizotypal personality disorder and schizophrenia, such as a severely limited ability to make social connections and a lack of emotional expression. People with these disorders may be viewed as odd or eccentric. And even though the names may sound similar, unlike schizotypal personality disorder and schizophrenia, people with schizoid personality disorder are in touch with reality So they're unlikely to experience paranoia or hallucinations. They make sense when they speak, although the tone may not be lively. So they don't have conversational patterns that are strange and hard to follow. The only thing that Zach wasn't being forthcoming about was the reason why he killed Melanie. Interesting. When he was found by the police, he had on his person a two-page letter confessing to the murder of his mother and his brother. During the interrogation, he confessed that he wrote some of the letter before he committed the act and wrote some on the road fleeing the scene. Gotcha. After finishing the letter, he stopped at a store called Thornton's and bought himself a Pepsi. He then left Thornton's and threw his cell phone in a ditch, assuming he could be tracked by his phone. He had no plan on where he was going to go. Next, he was asked about the knife they found at the scene by the back door. Zachary said he was trying to put the knife in his backpack, then the fire alarm went off and he took off running from the house. Who or what were you going to use that knife on, he was asked. And Zachary replied, the same thing I used the sledgehammer for. Who was he going to kill? Word for word, Zachary said, no specific person only if they got in my way. 
Holy fuck. It's pretty chilling. Holy fuck. Again. 15. Yeah. Holy shit. They asked Zachary why he chose the sledgehammer. They said it was a very unusual weapon. And he said that he thought about using a claw hammer and would have used a knife, but he didn't want to miss any vital areas. So he used the sledgehammer and repeatedly struck her in the head to make sure she was dead. God damn. He even complied and showed the interrogator how he swung the sledgehammer. They were overhead strikes too. Like this was a brutal killing. Yeah, it's like I said earlier that swinging it over the fucking head shit with all of the force that you have. Yeah. Fucking barbaric. The interrogator noticed something on Zachary's pants. I'll let this clip speak for itself. Stand back up. Stand back up. Is that blood on your pants right there? In the front. Right where your crotch is. Oh, now that's strange. Did you change clothes? She belonged to Oh, okay. And is that your mother's blood? Yes, sir. Those the same shoes you were wearing? Yes, sir. Those are the same pants you were wearing? Yes, sir. That's the same shirt you were wearing? No, sir. Where's the shirt you were wearing? Ah, that's a real alarm. Why'd you change? Why'd you get rid of that shirt? It had pieces of my mother's brain stuck to it. Okay, first of all, the first comment that I'm gonna make. His fucking voice. Mm -hmm. He's 15. That is the voice of a 15-year-old boy. Yes. God damn. Okay, B, if I heard correctly, he said... He threw his shirt away because it had pieces of his mother's brain stuck to it. Yes. Oh my fucking God. I have not one word. He was asked if he could turn the clock back, what would he have done differently? And Zachary said, I would have killed Josh with a sledgehammer too. Oh, fuck. Oh my God. The interrogator was so unnerved by the way Zachary was looking at him and speaking to him. They had to ask his brother Josh if he always acted like that. He confirmed that Zachary was acting normal. So the interrogators then asked Zachary if he ever laughed. And he responded that various things would make him laugh. They asked him to give an example. And word for word, Zachary says, quote, I was laughing my ass off when I killed my mother, end quote. Fuck. Fuck. He then confirms that he had no idea why he was laughing when he killed Melanie, but he would later describe this laughter as a celebratory laugh, oddly enough. Jesus fucking Christ. Now, this could be a case of paradoxical laughter. If you're unfamiliar, it's basically where some people with schizophrenia will laugh in response to a hallucination or even laughing during a serious situation. But the entire situation, Zachary has not laughed or giggled once during this interrogation. So whether he was putting on a mask to identify as a villain, I don't know. But those text messages between him and Melanie would never give you the picture that Zachary was a cold hard killer with no emotion. The only time Zachary broke character was when he smiled and seemed to chuckle after the investigator asked if he always looked at people through his eyebrows and that he looked evil. And that made him laugh. Yes. Oh my 
God. Zach claimed that he didn't realize he was even doing it, and the investigator then told Zach that he believed he knew exactly what he was doing. The investigator is basically saying to Zach, quote, you know, you must find some sort of pleasure out of making other people think that you're evil. And that insinuation from the investigator made Zachary smile. Like, he's literally smiling because he was told that he looked evil. So, I don't know. It's just odd. I can't speak for anyone who experiences these types of mental illnesses or psychosis. He could be mirroring the personalities of the killers that he's read or watched shows about. Police found something in a notebook that survived the fire, and they believe he wrote this after he killed his mother. Quote, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel remorse. My only true regret was that I didn't give her a faster death. I didn't want her to suffer. Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus fucking Christ. This case is absolutely insane. Yeah. Like, this is insane. Just wait. We're, we're getting to even more insanity. Oh, God. Zachary Davis received an automatic life sentence for first-degree murder following a four-day trial in April of 2015. Dr. Freeman, the psychiatrist who first diagnosed him, also testified in court that Zachary's judgment was being driven by his psychosis and that because of his mental illness could not have possibly premeditated the murders. In fact, he was very sure that he was not mentally competent enough to meet the legal definition of premeditation. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and a depressive disorder. Even in Zachary's confession, he said that once he thought about it, it was that time to commit the murder. He claims there was no pre-thought going into this, which honestly makes sense because this murder happened out of nowhere. Right, No right. one had any inclination that this was going to happen. Especially with what you, like what you said about the text exchange, like the day that it happened and just what was going on that day. I also don't think this was premeditated. It just, if it was, holy fuck. It's like he literally made the decision to do it and he just did it. And he just went with it, exactly. That's what I get from it, too. Zachary's case garnered national attention when television personality Dr. Phil McGraw aired a jailhouse interview with Zach on May 22nd. Dr. Fucking Dr. Phil? Dr. Fucking Phil. <laughs> no way. In that interview, two months before his trial, Zachary detailed things that happened leading up to the killing of his mother, Melanie. He described his childhood after saying that he felt his mother was an incompetent parent, recalling that he had to depend on himself and raise himself. The boys would have to do their own chores and laundry. Zachary stated that after his father died, his older brother Josh tackled him, ripped his clothes off, and raped him. Wait, what? Yes, you heard that right. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. Holy Fuck. He also said that when he tried to tell his mother about the attack, she didn't believe him and would tell Zachary that he was lying. Zachary would then stop bathing as a result of the assault as a deterrent to prevent his brother from doing it again. Basically, he needed her to step up as a parent and be there for him, and she didn't. So this in turn made him angry with her. I could not fucking imagine this like if you guys could see my face if you guys could only see my face like this is some extremely disturbing shit 
And even the interrogators, like when they when they asked him about it, because he had also disclosed that piece of information to the interrogators as well. And they were like, so you just stopped bathing completely. And he said, well, you know, I I would bathe from time to time, but just he just wouldn't. Oh, my God. That is fucking sad. That is so sad. Now, the rape has never been proven to be true, and there's no evidence to back up the allegations. So right now, we just have Zachary's word. And personally, for me, this story hasn't changed between Dr. Phil's interview and the actual interrogation when he first brought this up. So I'm inclined to believe that this may have happened. And in the same notebook that survived the fire, another entry read, I was raped by him that day and I've been planning to kill him ever since, end quote. See, that right there does it for me in a way. Like, I know you just can't take one piece of information and then just blindly accuse someone. I know you can't do that, but for him to confide in a notebook something that he didn't go and show anyone else something that was in his you know his personal writing right for him to confide that it just i don't know like why if it was a lie why would he just confide that to himself it's not like he was making it up to other people you know right. i don't know if that makes sense but to it, me oh it does that's where my brain takes it and i'm just uh, I don't know. That just kind of added something to me. Right. It really did. Zachary would then begin to cut himself. And sometimes he'd use a razor blade, but most of the time he used a pocket knife. Zach confirmed to Dr. Phil that he hears the voice of his deceased father. Before he killed his mother, he heard his father tell him to kill her. His father, in Zachary's head, called Melanie a whore and said she betrayed him. This part of Zach's psychosis was fueled by the fact his mother was seeing another man right after his father's passing. So, like, after Chris's passing, I'm pretty sure there was some time in between. But then when she moved on and started seeing someone else, Zachary in his head is hearing this voice. She's a whore. You gotta kill her. She betrayed me. You know? I All of this paints a really fucking horrid image. And as bad as I hate to say it, like, it makes sense. Like, what you're saying about Zach's perspective in that moment or in that period of time, it just paints this really grim picture. Right. It truly does. Like, I am just f fucking beside myself right now. I truly am. And he also confirmed with Dr. Phil, because when Dr. Phil asked him, you know, you struck her nearly 20 times, like, why? And he said he wanted to make sure she was dead. So that part of his story didn't change either. It didn't. Dr. Phil said Zachary's exaggerated head nods and laughing at inappropriate times were common behaviors for disorders ranging from severe anxiety to schizophrenia. Dr. Phil told Zachary, quote, When I look in your eyes, I don't see evil. I see lost. End quote. Uh, okay, Dr. Phil. Right? Dr. Philosophical over here. I see what you did there. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil asked, why did you kill her? And Zach said that she wasn't taking care of my family. Wow. He laughed when he described how large and heavy the murder weapon was. He also laughed when he described the sound the sledgehammer made when connecting with his mother's head. God damn. Fuck. Quote, it was a wet thumping sound. End quote. <sighs> Fucking fluff fact. Fluff fact? Fluff fact. I need a fluff fact now. Well, hello, beautiful creature. 
me and Ray greatly appreciate you listening to our show. And if you've made it this far into this episode, congratulations to newly sustained trauma and anxiety. Today, I'm just going to bring you a quick fluff fact. A fluff fact is something that me and Ray use to diffuse a situation when we're talking about something that's a little fucking much. It happens sometimes, and today was one of those times. So today's fluff fact, it comes from one of our listeners, Dayanera, and she wrote to us informing us that a group of wild rabbits is called a fluffle. And if that doesn't just make you want to run and jump out of a window, then I don't know what will, but I'm glad I shared it. I'm happy, and uh, yeah, back to today's case. At one point in his trial... Zachary changed his story again and tried to blame the murder on his brother. Okay. The claim surprised even his defense attorney, who admitted openly in court that Zachary Davis killed his mother. The defense was merely trying to get a more lenient sentence for Zachary and trying to pin the crime on his brother didn't help the case. Side note, the defense attorney even at one point asked to be taken off the case but was denied. What? Yes. So it was like that. His story changed three times. And at first, he said he didn't know why he killed his mom. Then, to she wasn't taking care of my family. And now, all of a sudden, his brother did it and he's covering for his brother. And what's sad is Zachary probably believes all three. Yeah. Zach was sentenced to life in prison after a jury deliberated just three hours to reach a guilty verdict. On Friday, June 5th, 2015, Sumner County Judge D. David Gay sentenced Zachary to 20 years each for the additional charges of attempted first-degree murder and aggravated arson. The range for each charge was 15 to 25 years. Judge Gay at first ordered that those sentences be served concurrently or at the same time. However, he watched Dr. Phil's interview in court on that Friday and had a different take on Zachary's mental state. Judge Gay ended up ruling that those sentences should be served consecutively. In Tennessee, a life sentence is 60 years with eligibility for parole after 51 years. Although four mental health experts, who I was unable to locate names for the other three, but Dr. Freeman was one of them, okay, who testified at Zachary's trial and competency hearing, and they all disagreed on a diagnosis. They did agree that he wasn't legally insane in that he knew right from wrong. At the time of the killing. Right. Okay. Judge Gay directed most of his comments to Zachary, who sat still and showed little emotion. The judge said, quote, The thing that bothers me is that you have shown no regrets, no remorse in murdering your own mother at age 15, end quote. Oh, my God. He was also quoted saying, You became evil, Mr. Davis. You went to the dark side. It's that plain and simple, end quote. Ooh, oof. During the sentencing hearing, Zachary's paternal grandmother, Gail Crone, asked for leniency and mercy. She said that if her grandson had been given proper mental health treatment, this would not have happened. Which I can agree with that. Right. During which she was quoted saying, Every teacher, every guidance counselor should have to stand trial with Zach. Zach is not a monster. He's a child who made a horrible mistake. In previous court testimony, Gail said that Melanie cut off her ties with her after the death of Zach's father 
and after the family moved to Hendersonville from Kentucky. She also said that Melanie failed to get Zachary help when he was diagnosed with depression following his father's death. She also said, I would like for Zach not to be forgotten here today like he has for much of his life. Oh, fuck. After the trial in April, Judge Gay said he would request that Zachary be remanded to the Lewis DeBerry Special Needs Facility in Nashville. The following is updated information from OK Bliss, and this was written by Sheg Karomo, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, on February 1st of this year. Oh, wow. Randy Lucas, Zachary's attorney, told the Hendersonville Standard that he planned to appeal Zachary's sentence on the grounds that the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed mandatory life sentences without parole for juveniles. Zachary was 15 years old when he murdered his mother, but was tried as an adult. Mr. Lucas pointed out that although Zachary was eligible for parole from the life sentence, the extra 20-year sentence would incarcerate him for life. Quote, I believe that ultimately the United States Supreme Court is going to decide that juveniles have to be given the opportunity for parole and rehabilitation, end quote. So Mr. Lucas appealed after Judge Gay denied his petition for a new trial. The Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals dismissed Zachary's appeal with Judge Robert L. Holloway writing, quote, we conclude that the trial court did not err in denying the defendant's motions to be declared incompetent, motion to suppress the defendant's statement, or the motion for mistrial, and did not err in sentencing the defendant to life plus 20 years, end quote. Zachary is incarcerated in a Tennessee prison where he'll likely spend the rest of his life. The earliest he can leave prison is 71 years into his sentence. And there's no guarantee that the parole board will grant him parole. And that concludes my coverage on Zachary Davis. My fucking God. Like, my fucking God. This is so anticlimactic for me, I feel like. Because I honestly just don't have a whole lot to say. I kind of gave my big thoughts throughout the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. But this case is sad. It's just so sad. It's so brutal in more than one way. Like, not just the actual murder being fucking barbaric, Mm -hmm. but the fact that he was 15. Yes. And you look at his demeanor and, you know, the way he acted afterwards and, oh, it's just fucking intense. Like, I honestly don't know what to make of this. I feel like I don't even have a coherent thought to really deliver. I just, I think this case is fucking awful. And I think had he had the help he needed, this is a common theme that me and you seem to come back to. But if help had been given the way that it needed to be given, and it wasn't his responsibility to get that help, he was a child. Yeah. I feel like this could have been prevented. It could have been. I truly believe that. I just. Because, I mean, even with his interest in true crime and all that other things, like mentally, he's probably idolizing these people for whatever reason. But we're interested in true crime. Right. Very and much I so, think, clearly. I mean, and we also have mental illness. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's but, just fucking blast ourselves. I mean, on I'm, this I'm just saying that I feel like the way that we handle true crime and all that other stuff is is one thing. Mm-hmm. 
But I think it, had he been medicated and had the proper therapy and just given a chance. That because, perception could have been a bit different for right, him. I don't, I don't blame Melanie for... Obviously, things that she went through with Chris's passing, you know, having to deal with a child who's mentally ill. I'm sure those things all played a factor, but it was still her responsibility to make sure that her child had the help that he needed. And I do agree with that. Like, no harsh judgments passed down, but we can boil it down to that. That is true. I also think that the rape allegation should have been taken a little more seriously by her. I do believe that as well. Because if he's saying that, people don't just lie about getting raped unless there's something wrong with them. Right. Right. I can I can agree with that. You know, rape is such a traumatic thing that I I just can't imagine a regular sane person wanting to say that they had been raped for attention. Right. You know, and right. there we would are hope people, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, but there are people out there that do that type of stuff. But for any other regular person, like, why would you lie? Why would they even lie about that? Right. You know, right. it's a little it's a, it's extreme. And that goes right back to the Eileen Morno's case. Like she was raped. Yes. Why would she lie? Exactly. Why would he lie? There, There's just too much backing it up, at least in Eileen's case. There definitely was. But right. that overall point that you're making, I 100 percent agree with. I just had tenderness and care. And consistency been delivered to him absolutely when he needed it. I really, you know, could have seen this whole story go in a different direction. Right, right. So, you know, you did the damn thing. And the damn thing's been done. And the damn thing's been done for sure. Like, I, I'm i just speechless about this one. My God. <laughs> so, you guys, we had fun as always. We hope you enjoyed our case this week. Slash maybe not really enjoyed it because this one was pretty fucking bad (laughs) um this one was pretty bad but nonetheless we enjoyed doing it we're happy you tuned in with us if you would like to follow me and ray and all of our weird well great news you can totally do that find us on facebook at go report a true crime podcast on instagram at go report podcast and twitter and gore report. And don't forget our email, guys. GoreReportPod at gmail.com. Write us a little letter. We would oh, love to hear from you. Yeah, only if you feel up to it, of course. Oh, oh, of course. So, uh, yeah. I don't really have much to say about this case. It's truly just fucking barbaric. But when I stop to think about it, Dr. Phil actually seems to pop up in the most strange and unexpected <laughs> places, doesn't he? <laughs> I totally did not expect to talk about him today, but you know what? What can you do? That's all for today, you guys. Bye!